Thank you, choir, ministers of music, all of you. Of all the words that Jesus could have left as he anticipated that time when he'd be gone from the sight of his disciples, those men and women who followed him for years, sharing food, sharing time, sharing sharing laughs, and sharing a lot of hardship as Jesus worked to impress upon them his sense of urgency about the nearness of the reign of God and to be able to talk with others about that, equipping them as insufficient as they felt like their resources were when time came for him to anticipate his own death. He knew there was a need, a deep need, to hear this word. It's not a magic word. It's a powerful word. It's a word that spills not only into our own individual lives and into our hearts, but in fact can characterize the relationships we share as a community, the relationship our society and our neighborhood shares out there in the world, the relationship that God strikes with us in Jesus, characterized by a reconciliation not of our making, not of our choosing, but instead in being made right and knit into God's own life. We discover the deep assurance from that word, peace. I don't know where you need to experience that in your own life today. Or in some ways, where we need to experience that as a church. But as we begin today, I want to at least point to two things about which you may not be aware or where your own attention may not be right now. And the first is because it was, it's been a very sudden kind of invitation of our church back into the life of someone who has a deep-rooted connection to our church. Um, about midweek last week, I got a call uh, from one of the relatives of Barbara Daniel Reeves, um, a child of this church, decades and decades ago. Uh, Barbara had taken ill very suddenly, and within a week, um, the, the physicians and the team at Rex realized medically there was nothing more they could do, and so moved her to the hospice wing at Rex. And they called me and asked if the church could, could show up for Barbara, even after all these years. And I said, of course. Uh, she died on Friday. And by Friday evening, we were making arrangements to, uh, to have a funeral here in the sanctuary on Monday morning. So tomorrow morning, uh, if you want to come and be a part of that funeral service, it begins at 11 a.m. If you can't stay for the funeral, there's a visitation at 10 a.m. here in the Yates Sanctuary. And then we'll bury her at Maplewood. Just wanted you to know that. The other thing I want to point to is something that uh, sometimes gets overlooked in the Sunday mornings. And it's mutual in many ways. Um, there is a part two, an act two, a second generation, a 2.0 expression of Yates that happens weekly on Sunday nights. It's in the attic, it's in the gym, it's kind of in the neighborhood, it's, it's all over the place. But it's really taking shape and taking form as a place where our neighbors, many of whom 
have known about us for a long time have found a point of entry that meets them where they are. And they're learning each and every week what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Many of them are very young, youth and children. You look at the picture, for instance, of Camp Cheerio, and they're just like 70 people running around wild. A lot of those are these new friends, Sunday, morning, uh, Sunday evening new friends. And we, in the Sunday morning group, um, sometimes are unaware of what may be happening under the banner of Yates and within the ministry of Yates unless we're sort of invited in or take some time. So, you know, thanks to Koinonia, for instance, for very regularly volunteering time to serve a meal. Um, others in the congregation may receive those solicitations. This is not a paid advertisement. This is the introduction of an idea. Um, today, you're going to meet, uh, if you haven't met them already, Alasia and Lily. They're going to be among the youth singers who are going to be uh, leading us in worship while we share the Lord's Supper. Um, these are friends made through the experience of Sunday night. And those women are learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus there, just like we are learning here on Sunday mornings. And I've been talking with Danny and trying to discern what are the best practices for us to be able to identify more and more with each other, even though we're sort of, we're in the same garden, but maybe at, at different ends and the flowers are growing. And so what I would like to do, at least when I begin the sermon, and maybe we'll have a little more reporting over time from those who volunteer and serve that community on Sunday nights to come and talk about the week prior. But what I'd invite you to do each and every week with me before this time of reflection on Scripture is to pray for what happens next. So if you bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer, a blessing for all that will happen tonight. Gracious God, we give you thanks that your church is so innovative that no one's face, no one voice, no one face, and no one idea can carry the load. And we recognize how you are at work around us. And in this campus, in unseen ways and in surprising places, as we continue to cultivate those relationships and try faithfully to bear witness to your work in Jesus Christ, and as we see others captivated by that vision, we pray that tonight, as they gather around their Thanksgiving potluck, as they sing songs and pray and hear scripture and hear testimony, that what happens in their lives would truly grow and manifest here and out and about, that your work would not be contained by our imaginations, but instead, by the power of your Holy Spirit, continue to cultivate and grow the new thing here in Yates Baptist Church. Bless them and bless us as we take time now to hear your voice and rest in your presence. May your peace be with us in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, that we would hear what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the first letter to the Corinthians. Today we're going to be reading from chapter 11. This is well into the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in response to a number of questions and concerns that were emanating out of Corinth, a place where he had planted the church, 
that had, in many ways, had several evangelists establish a presence and establish communities. And those communities sometimes were even having a hard time working together, identifying more with their mouthpiece or their favorite minister more than the one to whom all those ministers pointed, Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is writing back to them, and after walking through this kind of litany of grievances, concerns, and worries, and speaking to them, he points to a central area of concern. And that is the way the church was managing its fellowship meals. Long story short, there were some who could arrive early, probably because they were so rich they didn't have to work. And they could arrive in the early afternoon and they would eat all the food and they could drink all the wine. And so by the time the workaday people or those who had no choice about their schedule, people like slaves or servants who were also part of that same church, when they arrived, there was nothing more to drink. And it was just the little crust around the kind of the edge of the casserole dish left for them. And, and the Apostle Paul sees this as a travesty. And he chastises the church for the self-centeredness that can drive that sort of behavior in a community that's supposed to be constituted in a fundamentally different way. And in order to draw them to particular focus, he gives them a lens through which they could look at their actions as a community. All of their choices. And through this lens, be able to perceive clearly whether or not and how God may be at work and they can join God in that work. And if it doesn't meet this standard, if it doesn't meet this test, it may be a call. It may be a call for the church to stop and think again about where its priorities are, where its choices may be, whether it is an individual believer or the entire congregation. That's enough prologue. Let's hear these words from uh, verse 23 all the way to verse 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May God bless the reading and the hearing of the word today. I don't know when I first discovered that I was a pretty self-centered person. It was probably uh, I became self-aware of this when I started playing sports in middle school and high school for a team. When I had to participate either on a wrestling team or uh, on the football team and realized that my own personal achievement amounted to very little unless the team was able to accomplish the mission that was before it, which, let's say, uh, you know, for football, it's to advance that little oblong spheroid 
all the way to the goal line. And so the position I played was part of a much larger unit. As I started to look back on my life, I realized how many parts of our lives are really built that way. I had been in the band in middle school and in high school. And I realized that you know, singing or playing in an ensemble has a very similar effect. That you know, there are some people with stronger voices, some people with good solo voices, but if they are not attentive to the whole, then their personal accomplishment doesn't necessarily amount to much unless you want to spend your whole life just singing solos on the corner. If you work in, a, in an organization or a company that has real clarity of mission, you may also have a sense of this. Whether or not you're a project leader or you're a custodian or you're what, wherever it is, you are in that organization and you know with clarity what the mission is and learn to trust the people here and there above you, below you on the organizational chart, whatever it may be. Everyone bonded to the same mission is in some way encouraged to do their job to the best of their ability, not just for the personal accolades or the advancement or the raise or the bonus at the end of the year, but because they have bought into the mission of that group. This is super clear to me every time I talk uh, to military folks, that one of the things that is shed early on, probably first in their military training, is that sense of me. And you'll hear over and over again, we, not me. We, not me. We, not me. And this makes total sense. I see so many of you smiling and nodding. Why is it so hard? And why is our daily life so characterized by self-reliance, personal achievement, personal advancement, often at the expense of those around us? I'll leave that to you, but I just want to remind you, you know, Phil Jackson, the great basketball coach from the 90s, won so many championships. He always said that the strength of the team is every player, and the strength of every player is the team. When we read the scriptures, very often we, uh, in English, uh, we may be misled when we find this three-letter word over and over again as far as the promises or the teachings or the leadership that, uh, that God is providing. And it's the word you. Blessed are you. And there's something about this intersection of the, the, the environment that cultivates a personal, self-centered, self-motivated, self-saving uh, way with reading that word, you, from God. Every time we read the scriptures, or for a long time, every time I read the scriptures and, and would read that word you, I thought it was written right to my heart. And in a sense, you can do that. You can hear that in that personal way. But lo and behold, when I began learning the languages in which these scriptures were written, just how often it wasn't you singular, you, Bill, you know, you, Ted, you, Mary Martha, it was you, plural, you all, 
And so sometimes you'll hear me when I preach uh, try and sort of retranslate or at least communicate that in the way Southerners can hear. Y'all. Y'all. When the Apostle Paul recounts the story of Jesus' own institution of this meal, an institution which summons every memory and connection to the work of God in Jesus, in his life and his death and his resurrection, those words of institution must be heard in that light. This is my body, which is for y'all. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood of the new covenant for y'all. Over and over again, and I'm sure Jesus spoke with a southern accent, or at least a southern Aramaic accent. But that sense of connection to the collective need, the collective mission, the collective gift of a congregation, of all of us, and in some ways privileging and recognizing the importance of the mission that is given to the whole and our place in this community as serving that mission is so very important. When we recall what it is that the Apostle Paul draws to the attention of the Corinthians in the midst of all of their, their scandals and their arguments and their squabbles and their divisions and, and their personal choices gone very, very badly, in order to draw them back into focus, to reflect well on what it is they should be about and what it is they should be doing, he doesn't call out the offenders, but he calls out the church. Y'all, I'm going to tell you the story that matters most. This is the story that defines everything we do, and it defines who we are, even as it defines your individual lives as disciples. And so he tells the story of that sacred meal that Jesus instituted, a way with the simple gifts around the table of drawing their attention to two deep truths about the character of God in Christ. And one is that the gifts of life, let's say in the bread, are unmerited. We didn't ask for them. They're freely given. Jesus took the bread and gave thanks. Seems like such a simple thing, but this isn't entry-level politeness. This is a recognition of the grace that comes in our daily lives. And every time we come around the table, it represents in many ways the provision of God through so many hands, through so many efforts, and gives thanks. With thanksgiving this week, you individually and we, in just about 15 or 20 minutes, we'll be able to give thanks for the many ways God is at work and God will be at work in 2024. In the same way, when he points to the cup, he says this cup is a new covenant for y'all in my blood. The gifts that come to us that matter, that endure, that sustain us, come at great sacrifice. And we must always honor the sacrifices, often unseen, 
often unheralded, that bring these gifts to us. And holding these two great, powerful words of gift, grace, and sacrifice together. When we share this meal, we are called to a different sort of attention. You're going to be hearing me more and more talk in quantitative ways about what I hope for and what I pray for for the church. Um, I realize that sometimes I wander so far off in my own head, it's hard to, to grasp, like, well, is, how do I know if I'm tracking with you or not? So I'm just trying to give folks numbers. I, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be serving our older adults, those with time between Sundays, right, for this Thanksmas feast. And I've thought to myself, uh, if one person comes, well, they'll get a lot of turkey, and I'll be super happy. But you know what I want to do? What I'm hoping for is that people will be captivated by this opportunity to be served and loved by the ministers and staff so much that they'll show up and they'll bring a friend. They don't have to belong here on any formal list. We're going to be handing out some RSVP opportunities for you. But today I just want to plant that seed. What would, how do I quantify that? And I thought 50. 50 is a good big number. It's uh, actually, compared to pre-COVID numbers, it's about five more than we used to have. Who says COVID changed everything? Let's say it changed for the better. Can 50 of you desire to be served and receive a gift? I, I want to talk to Koinonia about it this morning. And I went in about five minutes too late. Mike English is already up there talking about human sexuality, so I didn't want to disrupt that. Everyone seemed riveted. So I'm taking the opportunity now. Last week, I said to you, can you imagine what it would take to be that chosen people who choose together to meet a goal? And so we talked about the debt retirement goal, right? And, and, and Rebecca and I in our communications tried to find uh, the right verb to talk about what happened. And we ended up on smashed. Debt retirement goal smashed by y'all. Thanks be to God. Looking forward, can we be a church that derives so much from worship, not necessarily the preacher, the music's always going to be consistently good, but this experience of being a community together and finding the sort of solidarity and support of being part of something bigger than you are, aspiring to more than you are, leaning together toward um, the God who has made us, the God who has called us, and the God who is resourcing us for ministry in the world. Can we all together identify with that? Can you get excited enough about that to make sure others know that they're invited too? We could count that. And the goal at the end of the day is not the end in and of itself. It's not about the numbers. I'm just trying to give you a sense of where my imagination is right now. It continues to expand. It continues to grow. But I do put these in front of you as a challenge so that as we continue to move forward, we can ask ourselves, look through the numbers, look through the daily worries, the organizational tasks, and see in what ways gift and thanksgiving and sacrifice can show up in every facet of our life together. That is what we are about.
When I woke up this morning, I said a prayer that maybe today would be the day uh, that someone would take a step forward for the first time and say, I want to follow Jesus. Or maybe there's a person or there's a household who is disconnected and needs a place to call home, a spiritual home. They take a step forward and say, I identify with Yates and I want Yates to identify with me and join this church. Maybe it's somebody who needs to declare some sort of of mission in the world. Maybe it's someone who needs ministry and care. But whatever those decisions may be, they're going to have to wait long enough for all of us to reorient and recalibrate to our purpose together, as individualized as your calling, as personalized as your relationship with the Lord. It all flows through this space of gift and sacrifice from God. So turn your attention now to the one who has made this space for us, to the one who has granted us these gifts at the table that enable us to belong, to transform, to grow, and to love like we are loved. As we do, we'll share bread and we'll share cup. But look through them and hear the voice of Jesus saying, this is my body. This is a new covenant in my blood for y'all. Would the deacons make their way forward?